Well, today's the 21st Sunday of the year, and um, we're going to come to this uh, gospel that where Peter kind of gets an expansive ministry, so to speak, from the Lord. Uh, he declared the rock in which the Lord will build his church. He's given the keys of the kingdom, and what he binds on earth is bound in heaven, and so on. Uh, quite expansive, and we'll, we'll see what this has to say to us. Um, it's about a very critical question to get right. Who is Jesus Christ? And we'll look at that, too. Um, maybe as a prelude, just to say that we, um, as a Catholic, looking out on the Protestant world, those non-Catholic uh, Christian denominations, but they're not Catholic, um, they have a serious problem at the root of their <clears throat> understanding of the church or what, what makes for the church in that there's no final authority. They say, well, Scripture is the sole authority, but what if I'm reading Scripture and you're reading Scripture and I say A and you say not A and we have all these Scriptures and we're throwing them back and forth. And, you know, just having Scripture isn't enough. We have to have a, an authoritative way to resolve differences. I'm talking about serious differences that there has to be one right answer to. Okay, you can have different opinions about, uh, you know, some implication of a text, but the point is, when it comes to serious doctrinal teachings, we have to have one answer. And um, the Protestants don't really have a way of resolving those things, whereas we Catholics do. We have a Pope, and when there are serious divisions or serious questions that come up in the Church, then we gather all the bishops in a council together, and uh, who presided over by the Pope, um, and... Um, they go back and forth, they may debate or whatever, and if there are real differences that can't be resolved simply by all the bishops coming to a consensus, then the Pope has to stand and rise and say, well, this is how we're going to have to handle it. And he may have to choose one side over the other, but the point is, there's a way forward now. It's like the referee on the field, right? You know, disputed call, in bounds or out of bounds. You know, one side says, you know, one side says that. And the, the, we all accept that whatever the ref says, going to be the answer, whether we like it or not, and we move forward. And that's kind of necessary at times in the church. Now, not necessary every day. Hopefully we can resolve most of our problems. There's a legitimate diversity that can be allowed in the church. On top of that, there's going to be um, times where we're able to just turn it through consensus. Uh, but there's going to be times in church history when we come to critical junctures where we have to have an answer, one answer. Now, the first example of this was in the Acts of the Apostles in the, the 15th chapter, you know, but there's some chapters that lead up to it. And a great debate broke out in the church about how to handle Gentile converts. Do we make them live like Jews, eating kosher, wearing Jewish clothing, you know, and so on, learning Hebrew, whatever? <clears throat> or um, do they live in their own culture, but, you know, they have to obviously adhere to the moral law? But again, do they have to live custom, the customary laws of the Jewish people? And there was a big difference among the apostles. Um, James, for example, was of one view. Paul and Barnabas were of the opposite view. So we got a problem. Even the apostles are divided. Now, Jesus had told Peter elsewhere, he said, No, I want, uh, Simon, the devil wants to divide you all like wheat, but I prayed for you so that you, you will turn and strengthen your brethren and unite them. All right? So, um, this is what happens. They call in a meeting in Jerusalem of all the bishops and uh, the apostles with the other bishops, and uh, they, they gather. And after that, Luke says, after much discussion, you know, oh, to be a fly on the wall, the tomatoes and eggs flying back and forth. But anyway, uh, after vigorous discussion, Peter rose 
And he said, now, this is basically what we need to do. And James rose and asked for certain concessions because his view wasn't really adopted by Peter. Peter says, no, they don't have to live like Jews. James thought they should. Um, Peter said, no, no. Uh, and um, sided with Paul and Barnabas and, and some of the other apostles. So, so James did ask for some concessions, which were granted. Then a letter was issued to the, all the churches, um, and this is how we're going to handle this going forward. And uh, the issue was largely averted. You know, the crisis was largely averted. There'll be some debates in the years ahead, but you get the point. So there's a way forward. And, and we followed this model ever since, uh, where there's a pope and bishops with him. And when there's trouble, they meet, try to resolve their issues. And if necessary, the pope kind of referees the difference. And this is our way. Now, the Protestants got rid of all that. And now you have 30,000, apparently, different denominations, you know. All kinds of, even among like Baptists, there's about 18 different variety of Baptists, you know, and counting, you know, and now all of a sudden we got two churches of the brethren because they couldn't agree on whatever, you know. And so this is a, a, a constant divisions and breaking apart, whereas where's the unity that Christ prayed for, you see? So we, we have this office of the papacy, and I'm giving all this to you as a background to this gospel uh, today, where we see the Lord, in effect, set up Peter as the head of the church, um, and um, so let's take a look at it now with some of that background in mind. But I simply say to you, the Protestant model, I think, is failed. It can't hold. It constantly break into smaller denominations. And where's the Catholic model? Well, here we are 2,000 years later. It's still the Catholic Church. Okay. Now, with that in mind, we want to um, begin the gospel. We're up in Caesarea Philippi. That's just north of Lebanon, outside of outside of um, Jewish territory. Um, but here we are. And Jesus asked them a fundamental question. Um, uh, the, well, let's just hear what he says. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, the apostles, that is. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? So this is a pretty fundamental question to get right. Who is Jesus Christ? Is he just some Jewish rabbi who gave us some nice little ethical teachings and told us to love one another? Well, yeah, is that all he is? You know, and so on. No, or is he is he the Lord, the Son of God Most High, the great Messiah, the Anointed One, who has been waited upon by generations? Who is Jesus Christ? Pretty important question to get right. And so, the Lord kind of trots out here a couple of different models to get to the truth that both uh, two of them fail. The first, the first model to get to the truth is, well, let's take a poll. How do we know what's true? Well, let's find out what everybody thinks. Not, that's not usually a very good way to get to the truth. We don't vote on the truth. Right? But nevertheless, some people think, oh, this is whatever the crowd says. Well, the problem is <laughs> every answer they give is wrong. Um, but taking a poll, you know, what is right is not always popular, and what is popular is not always right. All a poll can tell you is what people are thinking, you know. We can't really tell you what the truth is. So they say John the Baptist, or, or uh, Elijah, or, uh, you know, you know, one of the other prophets, or Jeremiah. Every answer, wrong, 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 wrong. All of it, wrong. So that's no, that's not going to get us the truth. Take a poll. Well, then he turns to the 12. All right, well, how about you 12? Who do you say that I am? Hmm. Crickets. 
Now, there's probably some group dynamics going on. You know, nobody wants to be the first to make the answer and sound like an idiot if he gets it wrong. You know, group dynamics there, you know, that's kind of, you know, ego stuff. And so not much going on there. He's kind of like, let's establish a blue ribbon panel. Get, bring the experts together. Let's study this. Who is Jesus Christ? You know, blah, blah, blah. and uh, that's how we're going to solve this. And again, crickets, crickets. And you've heard the expression before, uh, a camel is a horse designed by a committee. Huh? Right. So the panel doesn't really bring us the answer either, does it? Okay. Panels may have their place, but generally speaking, when it comes to determining or proclaiming the truth about something, they're going to compromise and weigh and balance, and you know how it goes. All right. So those two models don't work. There comes now a third approach, and this seems to work. Simon Peter then finally says in reply, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him in reply, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. The flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. Wow. Okay. So you see, the Lord is doing two things here. He's getting the answer from Simon Peter alone, and he's saying it wasn't the blue ribbon panel here. It was you, Peter, who gave the answer. And how did you get the answer right? Is it because you're the smartest guy here? Is it because you studied more? Or maybe just by accident you said the right thing for change? You know, <laughs> What was it? What, how did you, what's going on here? Uh, so the Lord says, Peter, you are the one. My father, my father told this to you, all right? You, you've been anointed by the father to give the answer here, you see. And so we see that, um, you know, it's not just that he spoke the truth, but how he came to speak the truth. Now, this is something that um, is important because, you know, anybody can get the right answer occasionally. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. It's, so, But it's, it's that there's an anointing that Peter receives from the Father through the Holy Spirit to give this answer, which is correct. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, that's the correct answer, but it's also Peter give, gives that answer correctly because of the Lord's anointing. So how do we get them to the truth of who is Jesus Christ? How do we get the right answer? Paul didn't work. The blue ribbon panel or the panel of experts didn't work. Uh, rather, an individual here, Peter, is anointed to speak this truth, even if he doesn't fully understand the meaning of the word. In fact, in calling Christ the Messiah, we'll see in next week's gospel, Peter spoke rightly, but he didn't fully understand what Messiah was really about. He was thinking political messiah, anointed leader who's going to come and, you know, crush them with an army, the Romans, and bring David, King David, kingdom of David back with all of its economic prosperity and so on. So Peter spoke it rightly. He didn't understand all the implications of it right away, but he spoke the right answer because God the Father anointed him. And so in the church, when we come to a matter uh, that's either disputed or it's not able to be, you know, you know, even even those who, you know, in this case, the twelve, should be able to all be on board and quickly come up with all the right answers. You know, it doesn't it doesn't usually happen that way. But the Lord anoints one from among those twelve, right? And um, the Lord says, "Look, Peter, you know, you you didn't answer this because you're smart. You answered because my Father anointed you. Therefore, and then we come to the next one first. So I say to you, Peter." Or Simon, but you know, the, the, the Peter means rock. I say to you, you are rock. You are Peter, and upon this rock, 
I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'll give you the key to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There it is. There it is. Peter is given not just applause in the moment for giving the right answer. He says, you see, Peter, my father has anointed you. And you now are going to be the rock on which I'll build my church so that the gates of hell won't prevail. And yes, the, all the apostles will be the foundation stones and so on. But at the end of the day, Peter has a special role to be the leader of that college of the apostles who are the foundation of the church. Christ, of course, is the rock. He's also the head, but he has a vicar, someone who particularly speaks for him and represents him. And that role is assigned to Peter. Peter was the head of the College of Apostles. This is evident if you read the scriptures, certainly in the Acts of the Apostles, and even in the Gospels you see it. He's always mentioned first. Um, you know, all that could go on. But at the end of the day, that's what's happening here. The Lord is not just saying, well, you got it right, you give some applause, and let's hope maybe one of the others gets it right next time. Um, an office is established here, okay, that will go forward in time, even as the Apostles had an office that they <coughs> shared with successors, knowing that they were going to die, they would lay hands. And also as the church got bigger, they would lay hands on certain men, making them bishops, priests, or deacons. <coughs> <coughs> so, that in a nutshell is this gospel. Now, we therefore in the church have kept this model down through the centuries. That, that model that we read about in the 15th chapter of Acts, where there was a crisis of debate and dispute in the church that had to be resolved, so they called a council. And Peter, at the head of it, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> so we have then um, this model that we've lived by, really all 2,000 years. Some among us over the centuries, beginning especially in the 16th century, a large group of of uh, Christians broke away from the church and they had no pope. They just claimed the word of God was all they needed. Uh, well, who gave them the word of God? The Catholic Church. Bishops voting, submitting their vote with the pope about what are the books of the Bible and so on. Anyway, enough said. But we see that uh, this model we've used, they departed from it and now they've subdivided and subdivided and sub, 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 subdivided. And uh, it's uh, quite quite a fractious, a fractious collection of uh, denominations. And that's not what the Lord prayed for. He prayed for unity. And we have the Pope that helped preserve that. Now here, though, we are in a difficult time um, uh, where we have, I think, some legitimate questions in front of us. You know, uh, the Pope has authority to teach and preach. Does that mean that every single thing that comes out of his mouth is is, is perfect teaching? No, uh, we would we would hold that only in definitive moments where there's a key question in play does the Pope have a kind of an anointing uh, to infallibly proclaim the truth that is to be held by the faithful. And this is rarely done, usually in a council. Big, you know, like we had the Second Vatican Council. There were councils going back, you know, years in the century before as well, all the way back to the early church. And it's normally in that context that the Pope exercises this role. He doesn't just get up every day and proclaim a dogma with his omelet. But rather, he. Um, this is rarely done. Uh, and even in our time, I think I've, I'm 62 years old. It's only happened once in my lifetime 
that a pope, I would argue, did definitively proclaim a truth of the faith that was already really taught by the church, but he's just saying it is now to be held as infallibly true. And he that was about the ordination of women. And Pope John Paul said, I'm invoking the office of Peter in my role as Peter's successor, and in a matter that's disputed and but must be definitively held by the faithful, I want to say that the church has no authority whatsoever to confer priestly ordination on women. Um, we have not received this from Christ, he goes on to say. This is, we have received what we have. And uh, I expect that the, this matter is to be held now definitively by all the faithful. It's a matter of faith and morals, definitively to be held by the faithful. And the Pope stated, declared, in invoking his priestly or his petrine, office to do it. So th it takes a certain formula, if you will, or language that the Pope has to use in order to uh, give an infallible declaration like we see Peter giving here today. So we don't just willy-nilly, everything that comes out of the Pope's mouth is golden. You know, he can't predict a soccer match. Uh, he's not a perfect man. No, no Pope is. He uh, goes to confession, I hope. Um, you know, it's, so we're not uh, just... <clears throat> going crazy with no distinctions here, but there are going to be times when the church experiences division and we need a final voice that can say, this is the way, walk, walk in it. And usually after lengthy discussions, this is not just willy-nilly, okay? Now the problem we have today though is this, that we have communication, almost instant communication, so that the Pope sneezes, everybody knows about it, like that. Uh, and there's a lot of talking and a lot of you know, in, in recent decades, we've had a lot of popes who give interviews. Uh, John Paul did a lot of it. So did Benedict. So does Francis. Um, and they're speaking a lot about a lot of topics. Some of them involve faith and morals, or some of them more about science or sociology or politics or economics. And popes can have opinions about those things. And there can be dogmas that impact questions of economics or, shall we say, climate change. We should respect and love the planet, you know, the God of the creation, if you will, that God gave us. But exactly how best to do that? Is it, is it some government program with global warming? Or I, I, That's not really for a pope to decide. That's, those are for the scientists and policymakers. Um, but nevertheless, popes can have opinions and so on. So we have a lot of popes saying a lot of things about a lot of topics. And this, is, this makes it hard for the faithful because we do have a very special place in our heart for the Pope, and we have a recognition of the need for a Pope to have kind of the final authority on, on certain matters that are disputed. Um, but just because a Pope is out there saying something about this or that, well, um, is every time he speaks, is it something we have to all agree to? No, no. Or again, um, even in a matter of faith and morals, there might be like a certain pastoral approach to let's... Uh, one, one group of bishops in one country may say, we need to be really firm about this. And another group of bishops, we need to be more careful about it here. In our, and the Pope can have an opinion one way or the other. But unless there's some coming together of the bishops in union with him to definitively handle this, the, no one's required to absolutely agree to his approach on every little thing. Um, but as I say, today, we have so much talking going on. I guess maybe... What I'm saying is I kind of wish our popes, recent popes with the communication age we're in, would learn to speak less, um, maybe more act behind the scenes if they think they need to convey concerns. Um, I don't know. I don't have a simple solution, but I, I know that um, not everything that comes out of a pope's mouth 
is true ipso facto just because it came out of his mouth. In fact, well, next week we'll see Peter kind of scratching his head. Although he talked correctly, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, he didn't quite fully understand what Messiah meant, and the Lord had to rebuke him. And, and so please be careful with this role that the Pope has. Um, we're not just uh, lemmings who just, you know, we have, <clears throat> we're asked to think, and uh, our own bishops are asked to lead their local churches. The Pope can't be everywhere, can't be at every meeting. Um, this is not a micromanaging kind of a structure. It's a structure, though, that's given to us by the Lord when crises come into the church that must be resolved, and when even the bishops don't necessarily have agreements. Okay? And that's necessary, especially when, like, war. You know, sometimes in Europe there were a lot of wars where Catholics were fighting Catholics. And the Pope has to say, guys, you know. Um, but as I say, we, 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 we have a lot of um, things that uh, we don't need the Pope in every meeting, okay? And that's, that's not the way the church is supposed to run. So we have a Pope today who's somewhat controversial. He's sort of relaxed. He speaks off the cuff. Sometimes he doesn't make really technical distinctions that some people wish he would, and on and on I can go. I'm not going to get into all that, say that I, I think prudence is important. I uh, I have my own viewpoint on it, but maybe Pope should speak less. Look at me, I'm Father Pope, and I just you can't get me to shut up. Okay, I need to end this now. But I do want to say, the Lord has today for us a structure for his church. Peter at the head, and the bishops united with him. All right. Um, I'm going to end by reading something from the catechism here. But uh, before I do, I want to also say that um, we, um, we have to, in every way, realize that we should pray for our Holy Father, the Pope, in this case, Pope Francis, and, and, and you know, that, that the Lord will guide him and help him. But also, we have to have some discernment that just because the Pope has an opinion about a certain, I don't know, topic in economics or something, uh, how a government should be structured, doesn't mean that that's... Something we have to just say, oh, well, I have to change my way of thinking. Uh, there are things that pertain to the Pope's office and things that don't. All right? so, I want to now uh, read this paragraph from the Catechism. When Christ instituted the Twelve, the Apostles, he constituted them in the form of a college or permanent assembly. And at the head, he placed Peter, chosen from among them. The Lord made Simon Peter alone, whom he called the rock. He made him the rock of the church and gave him the keys of, of his church and instituted him as shepherd of the whole flock. It says the body, the college or the body of bishops has no authority unless united with the Roman pontiff. And it goes on to say the bishops would later also share in the capacity to bind and loose, but only insofar as they are united to the Roman pontiff, Peter's successor. As such, this college of the apostles with Peter has supreme authority over the universal church, but this power cannot be exercised without the agreement of the Roman pontiff. Okay. So again, the college of bishops exercises power over the universal church in a solemn manner in an ecumenical council, but there is never an ecumenical council which is not confirmed or at least recognized as such by Peter's successor. And then we had that example I gave you early on in this rather lengthy talk, sorry, um, where Peter was rose in the middle of that debate in the early church. Peter rose, and, and that's a picture for you. Okay, Did Peter resolve every little conflict in every local church and every argument that Peter, Paul might have had with Barnabas? No, no. But at a critical moment, 
and the whole church is being affected, Peter Rhodes. Okay? We need that. And if you don't think we need that, let me just remind you, if nobody is Pope, everybody ends up being Pope. And that doesn't work. Okay? Too many chefs in the kitchen. We trust that God anoints someone, not just some dude, not some man, but someone anointed by God to speak at critical moments, to give the answer. Okay. Enough said. Um, pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis. Um, uh, pray for him to, to know what God is teaching and to implement it well. And uh, pray for all of us to stay united in this <laughs> crazy divided world somehow by our union with Christ's body, the church. Amen.